Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. We are a multi-site church longing for God's kingdom to come in order to restore the city and renew the nation of Wales. During the coronavirus outbreak, we are not meeting on a Sunday, but you can stay connected with us on YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Vineyard Church Cardiff. Each Sunday, we will be streaming a full-length service and providing resources for the kids. And across the week, we're putting up loads of content. You can find out more on our social media or at cardiffvineyard.org forward slash online church. Here's this week's talk from our senior pastor, James Rankin. Good morning. Brilliant to be with you today. I wanted to start with a bit of an apology because I'm just sorry about my hair. I've had quite a lot of grief from people recently. And Jen and I had a conversation before I came on today about whether I should have a go at cutting it, whether she should have a go at cutting it. It's a bit of a 50-50, isn't it? I think probably quite a lot of you might be having this at the moment. It's like, ooh, it's a bit of a risk. So I've kept it. The third option was a cap. Decided I wasn't quite young enough anymore to be able to get away with that. So that that went out there. But I don't know about you, but um, with Zoom and Google and FaceTime and all of these, when you're speaking to people, you're actually on the screen as well. And you're sitting there going, oh, this is what people experience from me. It's a very strange thing. I'm not a big mirror person, but I'm maybe a bit more aware than I normally am. Anyway, I wanted to start today with a question. I love questions. I think questions are beautiful. Getting the right question in the right moment for somebody can just completely unlock somebody and a whole situation. It can just bring revelation, can't it? It's like, oh, yes. My question is, how are you allowing God to speak into your heart during this time? How are you allowing God to speak into your heart this time? And I very deliberately used the word allowing because God is always speaking. He's always moving. He wants relationship and communion and connection. So he's always pushing in for that. But for the vast majority of majority of us at the moment we're feeling a lot of things there's so much emotion coming to the surface all the time change creates emotion so we've got all of these feelings churning each day feels although in some sense it's very the same our emotions can be very different on the day and for many of us we've got far more space and time than we would normally have me and Jen sometimes have this thing what should we do tonight it's like well do you know what I thought I'd stay in tonight maybe a do the same that I've done the last four weeks but I've called today's talk let him in let him in um Archbishop Temple says your religion is what you do with your solitude your religion is what you do with your solitude what you do when you're alone so how are you letting God move in your heart and I'm going to use Peter's encounter with Jesus to show you how he let Jesus restore and change him. So today I'm finishing our series in John's Gospel, Jesus's last words, and we're going to be looking at John 21, starting verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of a large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Peter makes us feel better, doesn't he? <laughs> As I read about Peter in the scriptures, I'm like, oh yes, I feel better. He's someone that I can identify with and I know that you can as you, as you look at his life. It's like he was so human. He's, he's passionate. He keeps jumping out of the boat and yet at the same time he's deeply flawed and he sees Jesus and again he wants to get near him. I love it. But, but even though Peter gets it wrong and is flawed and he messes it up and, and this encounter with Jesus shows us how God takes the broken things, he takes broken people and he restores them and, and he uses them as long as we let him in. So instead of running from Jesus and letting shame and failure define him, Peter instead runs towards Jesus, desperate to be near him. So my first point is running towards Jesus. Jesus invites him to breakfast on the beach. What a great invitation. Jesus is there and he's got these coals, he's making them red hot. And then all the disciples are like, come and have breakfast with me. Now, my last breakfast on the beach wasn't quite so successful. We walked about a mile to get to the beach, one of those secret beaches, very nice. Got there, got the guests out, started it, got the girls' eggs. Jen, we're doing eggs in baps, fried eggs in baps. Got to my egg and the gas died. And so I ended up with this kind of half lukewarm, sloppy egg. And it was that moment, it's like, egg in the barn or no I just went for the roll so feeling a little bit disappointed about that but I want to take a moment to compare John 21 and Luke 5 two passages which are incredibly similar and then have a radically different end so in both stories the disciples are in the boat in Luke 5 they work all night to get the fish in John 21 they're out all this time and they don't get any fish. In Luke 5, Jesus says, throw your net in one more time. In Luke 21, it says an identical thing. In Luke 5, they suddenly find they've got an overwhelming number of fish. And in John 21, 153, just one of those things that goes in, there's an overwhelming number of fish. Just these overwhelming, obvious similarities. So they're the same apart from the end. So what's different? Well, in Luke 5, when Peter sees the catch of fish, he looks at Jesus and he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Get away from me. You, you make me feel little and, and weak um, and frail. You make me feel vulnerable. Depart from me. It's quite a strong reaction, isn't it? Compare this with John 21. He ties his outer garment to himself and he throws himself into the water. And it's one of those pictures where I kind of imagine it being a little bit shallow and it's kind of like half swimming, half running, just desperate to get there, fighting to get as close to Jesus as he possibly can. But why are the endings so different? In Luke, it seems like he wants to get as far away from God as possible. In the other case, he wants to get 
as close to Jesus as he possibly can. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Now, something happens to Peter. Something has happened to Peter. And I think it's this. I think he's understood the gospel. Meeting Jesus is both threatening and wonderful. I've watched countless people come to know Jesus. I've had the joy of seeing that. Um, and as they explore Jesus and they begin to get closer to trusting him and, and putting their, their life in his, their, their life in his hands, there's kind of this moment where it actually becomes very threatening because you, you get towards this place of it. You're like, oh my goodness, it's true. I think this is real. And then suddenly it all begins to kick in of the cost. It's like, oh wow, this is going to mean complete change. This kind of before Jesus and after Jesus. And so that can actually be quite a threatening time. This, this paradigm shift going on in your mind is scary because you're no longer in charge. If this is real, it changes everything. So you've got, it's kind of terrifying. And then on the other side, it's wonderful. I'm no longer in charge. I don't have to do it on my own. I'm known, I'm loved, my identity is sealed. All of this other side. And so as you get closer to that moment of putting your trust in Jesus, it's quite an interesting moment. When you get near the real Jesus, there's always an extreme reaction. Peter realised that Jesus was in charge and not him, and his past didn't define him, and Jesus' death had saved him, and Jesus didn't make him feel bad. Instead, he completed him. And these are two completely different ways to build self-image. So if you build a self-image, if you build an identity, if you build your life on the idea that you're a pretty good person, better than most, then any kind of reminder of failure or sin or messing up will automatically feel you, make you feel rubbish. And you're, you want to almost push it down. You want to make it as small as possible. Because looking at pure holiness and beauty makes you feel inadequate. Your response is, depart from me, get away from me. When we understand the gospel, our response is completely different. And I, and I think I think you can be a, a Christian and you can have given your life to Jesus and still not have really, really understood the gospel. That we're not threatened by him. Instead, we're in awe of him. We run towards him because there is nothing more wonderful. We glory in his grace and his mercy and his majesty and his forgiveness. All of these things. It's like, oh, yes, our response is thankfulness and awe rather than shame and fear. So if we understand the gospel fully like P Peter, our response is to want to run towards Jesus. Now when Peter and his disciples get to Jesus, what do they experience? His grace and his mercy. And in order to understand this, we have to go back further into the story. Let me just remind you a bit of the context before this breakfast, particularly for Peter. So at the Last Supper, Jesus has said to him, you're going to deny me three times. Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter's response was, though all of the other disciples might fall away, I'm never going to fall away. I will die with you if necessary. I'm never going to let you down. I'm so devoted to you. I'm more devoted to you to the, more than anybody else. You can rely on me. So in some sense, you've got this huge pride, haven't you? Never me. It's never going to... And the greater the height, sometimes the greater the distance that we fall. But Peter absolutely believed in his heart that this was going to be true. I don't think he... He couldn't see an instance where he would deny Jesus. But on that night, Peter followed Jesus at a distance. They took him into the high priest's house 
And out in the courtyard, Peter got around a fire with some other soldiers and other people that had gathered there. And they asked him three times, are you a follower of Jesus? And it's like, no, no, no. And then as soon as Peter denied him the third time, Jesus comes out and we see this in Luke 22. He's being led across the courtyard and he turns to Peter and he looks at him. And at that moment, the cock crows and Peter went out and wept bitterly. So that's the background. The last time Jesus had looked directly at Peter, it was in the midst of betrayal. Verse 61 in Luke, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. So here we are again. Fast forward. They are face to face on the beach. What does Jesus do? Let's read from verse 15. When they finished eating, they'd had their fish butties. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. It's where Peter receives Jesus's grace and mercy. Look at what Jesus does. Just going back to verse nine, where they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it. So what's happening in this whole encounter that Jesus is having with Peter is it's he brings Peter back to a fire, which is a reminder of the setting of the original betrayal. It's almost like the situation is being set up again. That's not all. So there's the fire. And then in verse 15, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now, Jesus is just reminding him of the content of his betrayal. When Peter had said, everyone else is going to fall away on um, away. I love you more than anyone else. I love you more than these. So then instead of Jesus just asking him once, he asked him three times, Simon, you failed me, Peter says, I know. You failed me. I know. You failed me. So he recounts the threefold, threefold form and he brings him back to the setting of where it happened as well. Now, you might sit there and think, well, do you know, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? He's, he's not exactly letting him off the hook. He's making him relive this whole situation again. You failed me. And Peter, instead of making up excuses, wow, do you know what, Jesus? It's pretty, it's pretty tough. It just seemed like the right thing to do at the time. He says, I know. I know I let you down, but I love you. And I want to be with you. Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, take care of my flock. True repentance is when we stop making excuses and, and we take responsibility for our mess and our bad choices. One of my circular argue, arguments with my children goes like this. You really shouldn't hit your sister, but she's really annoying. She made me really angry. Well, just because she made you angry, you didn't have to hit her. But it's her fault. So she couldn't have done anything else. No, she deserved it. She made me hit her. At that moment, you're like, OK, this, this isn't going that well right now. But we can be like that, not wanting to take ownership and just to throw out excuses to become the victim. And we love to justify ourselves. But Peter, in this moment, he just takes it on the chin, doesn't he? He's like, you failed me. And Peter says, I know. OK, 
Now take charge. You're the leader. Take over. There are, there are seven disciples and Peter is the most broken. He's the one who's been most out of touch with who he was. He's the one who most needed to keep up the image. His failure was the great. I mean, it really is a monumental failure, particularly after what he said. Yet Jesus says, of the seven of you, because your failure is the greatest, you are the leader. Do you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, plunge your failure into my grace and it will make you greater than you were before. Jesus says with me, it's totally different. In fact, it's the, it's the reverse. If you've been forgiven much, he says in Luke 7, you love much. The more you see your brokenness, the more you plunge yourself into my grace, the more you let yourself receive grace and mercy, the more that you'll understand people, the more that you'll understand yourself, the more that you'll understand me. In that moment, you really begin to understand the gospel. It's like, oh, it's not because of what I've done. It's because of what you've done. It's all on you. And I get to freely come. The upside down kingdom. And it's similar to what I talked about with Mary Magdalene. Waiting for Jesus outside the tomb. And for Mary, she just knew how amazing Jesus was and how wretched her life had been before. So in that moment, Jesus revealed himself to Mary. It's like, amazing, isn't it? Her love for Jesus was so fierce because she understood how much she needed him. So we, so Peter receives his grace and mercy. And in the same way, we have to receive his grace and mercy. And then finally, we push into intimacy. Now, one of the challenging things of lockdown, of which there are many, is that a lot of the activity that we've been used to doing has been taken away, it's been stripped away. And, and what it begins to expose is what is really under the surface of our relationship with God. So if you imagine an iceberg, now they're, they're huge, aren't they? But actually when you're looking at an iceberg, what's above the water is often only 10% of what's, 90% below, 10% above. At this time, I believe that God's wanting to look under the iceberg. He's wanting to look under the surface to allow him to begin to speak to our hearts, to expose our motivations, our attitudes, our, our brokenness, our hopes, our dreams. Some of the things that we've, we've clung to, they've been exposed. An image would be to begin to do some heart surgery. Now, I think that all of us can confuse activity with intimacy. They are not the same. Both are important and good, but they should sit together like good friends. Activity without intimacy is punishing and, and it leads to burnout and twisted motivations and frustration and anger and all of those things. Activity that doesn't come out of relationship with God becomes harsh and demanding very quickly. God, I'm doing all of this for you. I'm doing this for you. It's not fair. And the Lord's like, really? Do you love me? Then feed my lambs. Look after my people. Build the church. Intimacy leads to purpose. So in this time, if we have a lack of intimacy and a lack of closeness with God, it might well be exposed. Now, intimacy is a, is a word that, that many people struggle with because it's so close. It's, it's intimate. It has, in our culture, often been used in a romantic sense, being intimate. But as you look at this exchange between Peter and Jesus, it's full on, isn't it? It's so intimate. 
Peter, do you love me? Now, many of us would feel uncomfortable with the directness of the question. We might prefer, Peter, how do you feel about me? Let's soften it a lot. On a scale of one to ten, how, how are your feelings right now? Maybe we would want to caveat it. Well, it, well Jesus, it, it really depends what you mean by love. What, what do you mean by love right now? I serve you, I, I give, I try and love others, but, but do you love me? Now, this question is huge and multi-layered, isn't it? Do you love me? And, you know, if we were to take this question in, into our own lives and imagine that Jesus was asking the question to ask, to us, sorry, you know, here'd be some of the responses. Do you love me? I'm not sure. But others of you, yes, with my whole heart. It's like, yeah, I'm in. Possibly. Sometimes. When I'm not feeling angry. No, I don't. What do you mean by the question? Define love. There's so many different responses to this question. And the best way to know is to sit with the Lord and begin to unpack it. The truth is, it takes courage and it takes intentionality. Earlier in the week, I used this passage in my devotions. It came up in my time with God uh, in, in a book called Journey with Jesus. And this was this was the devotion uh, for my week, uh, just for that day, actually, not for the whole week. It says this. Imagine you're standing before Jesus and he looks you in the eye and asks you, do you love me more than these? What might these refer to in your life? Do you love me, me more than these? Security, family, job, children, spouse, money, you know, fill it in. Do you love me more than these? And then it goes on. Julian of Norwich prayed that she would let God be enough. This notion is extremely challenging. Reflect on the following two questions in general, in your general response. Is God enough for you? Can you be satisfied with just having God and not having whoever or whatever is being emptied out of your life? Now, if you truly sit and begin to engage with those questions, stuff begins to come out. The way that I do it is I actually sit here in this room. I've got this beautiful little armchair. Well, Ikea, I say beautiful. It's beautiful, it's Ikea. Um, and I come to the same place and I find that really helpful to, to have a place that I go to to be with Jesus. It's not the only place, but it, it's like my place that I go to. And take a drink with me. I take my Bible and I take my journal and I sit there and I find journaling so incredibly helpful with questions when it comes to questions because I've asked I don't know 10 12 questions during the course of this talk what happens is they go in one ear and they come out the other but actually when you sit and you reflect on something and you meditate on something and you sit on that question do you love me do you love me more than these well that's not just something that you can just do in a moment because you begin to unpack, well, Lord, are there other things that I've put? Are there the, these other theses that have got in the way? And the Lord begins to reveal them. And then he begins to recenter you. And then you can truly, you reach the point where you can say, yes, Lord, I, I do love you. I'm absolutely in. And yes, I'm going to have to make some adjustments in my, and that's the process of change. Is this, re this reflection with the scriptures, with journaling, we sit before the Lord and using these questions 
to let him change us. James, do you love me? Am I enough? I called this talk, let me in. And some of you are thinking, James, that sounds like hard work. Sounds pretty deep. And my question is really, can you afford not to? Peter's response is to run towards Jesus. He jumps out of the boat to be close to him. It would have been so easy for Peter to be eaten up by his shame and his mess and never to do the heart surgery required for him to live in the fullness of what God had for him. To never have this exchange with Jesus. He could have just run away, but he has this moment with Jesus that is probably really difficult, but it's deeply restorative where he was forgiven, where he was set free, where he was repurposed, where he was commissioned, all of these things. In my experience, there were no shortcuts in following Jesus. Because believe me, I've tried. I've tried all of them. Well, maybe if I just do this, this would be the easy way. In the same way that there are no shortcuts in relationships. They take time and investment and asking deep questions, but the fruit of them is breathtaking. It's like a good, it's like a strong marriage. Strong marriage, you might look in and say, oh, that, that looks easy. It's like, any strong marriage takes incredible amounts of work, preferring the other, listening well, time, more time. Good relationships don't just happen. They happen because we're intentional about them. And so coming back to this, this question that I started with, how are you going to allow God to speak to your heart at this time? How's that going to happen? So in finishing, my encouragement to you, is to let him in and to begin to think about during this time, what does that look like for me? I just want to pray and finish you. Lord, I love the example of Peter. I love how he just jumps out of the boat, like abandoned. He's like, I just want to be near Jesus. And Lord, oh, I'm just aware there are many reasons why we don't do that but Lord just reveal those and bring those to the surface and we just say no to them there is nothing like being close to you there's nothing more beautiful there's nothing more gracious than you just sitting in your presence and letting you speak to the deep places in our souls and so Lord just as people sit in their living rooms this morning wherever you are I just pray the Holy Spirit upon you Pray that you just enjoy his presence. Just open yourself up. I know we, that we do this normally in a service, but take a moment. Ask the Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit, come. I don't want to run away from you. I, I want to run towards you. Lord, I let you in right now. Show me what this looks like. I want to follow you. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember you can tune in to our YouTube channel on Sundays from 10.30 for our online church or connect with us through Facebook and Instagram to hear from us throughout the week. We would love to help you find out more about Jesus or grow in your faith. So if you have any questions, get in touch on social media or email info at cardiffvineyard.org. If you're local to Cardiff, we would love for you to get involved in a small group, which is just a small group of people meeting throughout the week across the city. Of course, meeting online at the moment. 
They are the heartbeat of this church and now more than ever at this time of social distancing, they are so important for you to stay connected to church and grow in your faith. Head to our website cardiffvineyard.org and hit the small groups tab at the top of the page to find out more. If you're listening from further afield, thanks so much for tuning in. We're really glad you're here. But we would also love to help you get connected with a local church where you are. So email us at info at cardiffvineyard.org and we would love to help. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.